Hi, I'm Karabo Skoto from Investec Private Banking, and welcome to another Investec Focus Radio podcast. This is the second episode in the three-part series on cybersecurity with Kevin Hogan, the Fraud Risk Manager of Private Banking at Investec. Today, I want to find out from Kevin how cybercrime affects businesses and how business owners can better protect their client data. Kevin, the first thing I want to tackle is the term we hear so often these days, big data. What is big data and what does it mean for businesses? Big data is that, it's just data. It's how you take it and use it, either for good or bad, that adds the value. Big data essentially from a fraud perspective allows us to look for anomalies. So for example, if a client's using their credit card, normal spend patterns for the population group are X. Big data can then say to you, hang on a second, there's an outlier here, something's weird. Either it could be an individual transactions or a series of transactions, and that's, and that's the power of big data. It allows you to see literally the bigger picture that you ordinarily wouldn't never see. So when you say big data, it basically just means that you look at a lot of data at the same time. To spot trends? You know, we have millions of credit card transactions. We can't check, we don't check every single transaction. And that's where big data comes in. It's able to do these things, you know, if you plug it into AI, it starts to do real-time intelligent decisioning. Um, those are the benefits that really come from a fraud perspective, also from a cyber perspective. Right. So what application does it have for the average business? If you are not going to incorporate big data into your environment, you're probably going to miss out on, on big opportunities, especially in the corporate world. You know, social media use big data. Facebook use big data. They predict, oh, okay, this is what the population likes, this is what you like, and they push you personalized ads. How do you think they get it right? The banks are doing it around, you can offer your client very specific products, very specific to their needs. So you can use big data to your advantage, but also from a fraud perspective, we can use it to predict, oh, this is what's happening, and we can help protect our clients. I suppose with any good thing, it can be turned to be used for bad. So how can big data be used for bad things? Well, time will tell. That brings me to some other terms that you hear everywhere these days. GDPR and PDS2. They sound like video games, but what are they and why are they essential for businesses? So GDPR and PSD2 really are um, European-based legislations. So GDPR really is around protecting data and how when someone gives you information, for example, you're shopping online and you have to give your name and your surname and your telephone number, what are you as an organization? How do you protect that data? How do you store that data? How long do you store that data for? There's this very big movement around data in the world. I mean, that's all that we're discussing. Um, and if you decide, well, you know, you no longer want this company to have your data, do you have a right to now say to this company, please, you must not store my data. What are the steps that have to be taken? Do you want your data to be deleted? What can a company do with your data? So GDPR, GDPR essentially governs, you know, a lot of that stuff. If, if, if a company has a data breach, there are very big fines linked to GDPR. I suppose it's, it's a big, big stick to force companies to look after people's data. My, my biggest concern is that you have a lot of these smaller, you know, one-man bands, bicycle shops and small owned businesses where you're giving them the same data that you're giving corporates. Uh, are they subject to the same playing field, the same rules? Will they be able to put in the same security protocols? PSD2 really doesn't affect the man in the street. It, it really is around, you know, big corporates like ours. 
how do we comply to better security and data standards? So for example, um, PSD2 will mandate, for example, that second factor is compulsory. Um, perhaps even take one step further to say that SMS is no longer a really a secure way. Now you need to use in-app messaging, whatever the case may be. And it starts to give guidance and in many respects is prescriptive as to say, well, these are the protocols that need to be in place. And I think PSD2 is not going to be the end, it's going to evolve. It's going to be the first iteration is going to be, you know, a PSD3 or a 4 or 5 or whatever it may be. I think it's going to evolve and it's essentially forcing companies to have better security. So do you think these regulations are catching up with how fast cybercrime keeps developing? No, absolutely not. So, I mean, you know, catching up, legislation catching up with technology is never going to happen. South Africa has only just promulgated its cybercrime bill. I think legislation that governs the internet, cyber, whatever you want to call it, uh, is always going to lag behind. Unless there's a proactive stance from government that they will just stay on top of it and continually evolve with it, they're always going to be one step behind. Um, there's been instances where people haven't been able to be prosecuted because the legislation is so outdated. How do you prosecute them, you know, on what basis? And especially, you know, in, in the South African context, we are way behind. I, th I think overseas they're a little bit better, but from what I've seen, um, legislation always lags. Technology is just changing too quickly. What should South African businesses be doing to safeguard their data? Well, let's think about it. You know, it's your data and it's your client's data. There are certain minimum standards that people have to comply to. You know, the government sets what those standards are. Um, you know, for example, Visa will set very, very strict, rigid standards that we have to comply to protect client's data. For me, I think most corporates will do that to a greater or lesser extent. But I think it's got to go beyond that because I think what you've got to do is partner with your clients as well. You know, clients also house their own data, and if they get breached, potentially it could have a knock-on effect on you. So I think it's a partnership between you and your clients, helping your clients know what's out there and how they can protect themselves. But also, obviously, internally, you, you've, you've got to continually evolve, keep your guard up. The system or process that helped you today may not be the system or process that helps you tomorrow. <clears throat> so I think if you feel that you've got it right, don't rest on your laurels because the goalpost will move next year and the hackers will find another way to breach your environment or get in. I think in the cyber circles, people realize that it's not a case of if, but when you get hacked. And it's really around having the correct systems and processes to detect it very early, to respond correctly and minimize the damage as much as possible. Okay, one last question. Again, about a phrase I keep hearing that sounds a little like it's from a science fiction movie. What is social engineering and why should we be aware of it? So we've all heard, you know, over and over and over again, phishing and vishing and smishing and all these different things. These are techniques that hackers use to get people to give away personal information. To brute force your way into someone's phone, onto their laptop, onto their network is very difficult. You have to be a very competent IT cyber attacker to be able to do that. And they are few and far between. There's a couple of guys who can do it. Most of the hackers in the street are not these sophisticated, you know, brilliantly intelligent guys. These are, you know, your mid-level guys. And the best way to get into people's stuff, companies' data, is through a human being. Human beings know what their username and password is. All you do is you trick them into giving away their username and password. Human beings like to click on stuff. So you send them something that's appealing via email to click on so that they can download a piece of virus that will capture all your username and passwords as you type them in.
This is what social engineering is, literally translated. I engineer your social behavior to do what I want you to do. It's almost manipulation in a sense, like a marionette with puppets. It's getting, conning someone into doing something they ordinarily wouldn't do. And there are various tools in which you can do that. Phishing emails are one of them. Now, they vary from really bad phishing emails sent by someone who can't spell, and hopefully people will recognize it for what it is, to very sophisticated phishing emails that look like they come from your company or a colleague with all the correct context and logos and everything, and they're extremely convincing. The stats show us that if you get one of those emails, 88% likelihood you'll probably respond to it. So phishing is one of the techniques used in social engineering to trick people into clicking links, opening attachments, giving away personal information, username and passwords. And people don't understand that social engineering is the primary way that attackers are getting into people's personal information, into their devices, into their organizations. And that's why I go back to what I said right in the beginning. This is actually a people problem. If you can sort out the human being, you'll probably solve 95% of the issue. 5% of the hacks is where they don't need you, they're clever enough just to break in. But for most of us, it's going through the human being. And it's recognizing when are you being socially engineered. Ha, so if it's a human problem, that means we all need to educate ourselves on various tricks and become a lot more aware. Kevin, thank you as always for sharing your expertise. And thank you for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please listen to the other episodes in this three-part series, one on how to protect yourself from cybercrime and the other on future trends. I hope you'll join us again next time on Investec Focus Radio. And be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.